Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Great to be with you all this morning at the Chapel Church. Absolutely uh, love you guys. Love your senior pastors. Daz and Brian have been friends uh, with the family for so many years. And it's exciting to see all the uh, kids growing up. Lockie, who is now towering over me uh, and uh, and just absolutely uh, going so well. And Belzy now, obviously, off in another place pursuing her studies and whatever. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. And, and uh, I... I know that God has a word for you today. And uh, this is what I want to start by saying to you today. No matter where you're at right now, no matter what you think you need, because we all think we need something right now, uh, whether subconsciously or consciously, we're all like, if only I had that, or God, if you would allow this. And and all of that is fair, because that's what it means to be a human. We can only live in the now and what we've known. We know None of us know what's coming. So we all think we know what we need. But friend, here's what I have discovered through God's Word and the short life that I have lived, is that more than anything else, what you need is a Word from God. Because when you get a word from God, it silences every other need that you thought you had. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is that if it, it, the word will speak, the word always speaks. It's all about our hearts and our minds' readiness to receive it. And so my encouragement to you today is that, uh, is that you would lean in and that you would listen for God's voice to you because there is encouragement for you to walk out of here today with greater confidence, greater hope, greater purpose, greater awareness of His presence in your life. In Jesus' name. All right, well, I, I am, I'm in competition with your senior pastor, Bron. We, we live in a perpetual competition. And what I've realized today is what we're going to be competing on is who speaks the fastest. Mate, she is good. She's good. So I've, she set the bar high. So I'm going to try and rival that today. Uh, uh, so get your, get, get your speed auction ears listening on. You know, one of the things that I personally look forward to the most in, uh, in, in the church calendar. Every church has a calendar and things come and go. And one of the things that I absolutely look forward to the most is a time in September that we call the Lifehouse Spring Clean. It's two days at the start of spring where we get our whole staff and team together. And for two days, we do a deep clean of the building that God has given us, who He loves a spring clean. I got a few little ways. Yes, be, uh, uh, no, go, yes, I'm with you. I love a spring clean. Why? Because, you know, things happen over time that things just accumulate and whatever, and then the spring clean. So let me tell you, with the first year that we did this in, in Lifehouse in Coffs Harbour, that while the team was deep cleaning the toilet area, we discovered that the grout between the tiles in the toilet wasn't actually black, it was white. How many of you know that you need to do a spring clean every now and again? As we're getting around the building, we, you know, we, we fix all the holes in the jip rock. As we're, as we're plastering and fixing all the holes in the jip rock, we thank the Lord for the youth ministry that He's blessed the church with. God, thank you for these young people. We pray you bless them. Although I've been told it's not actually the youth ministry, it's the women's ministry. So anyway, either way. 
Well, well I, my, I always get put with a painting team. So we paint every service that we can possibly, every surface that we can possibly get to. And, and while I'm painting, I am thanking the Lord that he called me to be a pastor, not a painter. And every painter who sees my handiwork says yes and amen. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the thing that I look forward to by far and away the most about the Lifehouse Spring Clean is when we turn our attention to the Lifehouse Storage Shed. So here's something I've discovered about church life, and that is that any physical space within a church building that does not have direct leadership over it will become the dumping ground for everyone else's stuff. Now, you might go, well, I've got no idea about church life, but maybe you've got a garage and children. Mm. See, this resonates with me because I, I see it in my church life, but I see this in my own home because in my house, which is my wife's house, I've got a space in that house called the garage and it's mine. If you're a fan of, uh, you know, the, 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 if you know Gollum, the character, it's, it's the garage. It is my precious. That's my space. The garage in my house, wall to wall, has those racking shelves that you buy from Bunnings. Every cont- I see a, a bloke nodding with me. He's like, yes, yes, this is good. Haven't even opened the Bible yet, but already this is good. The containers that sit on those shelves are the same size, same shape, same color, and are all labeled so that I can walk in there and I don't have to think of, I can just see where everything is. I set up my garage with the full intent that there will be no clutter whatsoever. And when my garage looks like that, I am the most happiest person in the world. Now, the problem is there are other people that live in my home. You might call them family, call them what you like, whatever. They live in the same location. And the the problem with my family is that they don't value my garage the same way I do. But what happens in life is they end up with things in their hand. My kids, I've got four kids, 19, 19, 18, 16, and 12. And they end up with things in their hand that at one time they really valued and wanted, but now they no longer want it. So they take it out of their bedroom and they walk it down to my garage. And do you know what they find in the garage? They find space in the garage. And wherever they find space, they go, well, this looks like the appropriate place to put this random thing. And so right now in my garage, garage, there is an office chair. Friends, I don't know why it's there because I did not put it there. Someone in my household had that office chair in their bedroom, decided they didn't want to want it anymore, so they took it down and put it into my space. That's great, wonderful. I've got an office chair in my garage. You know, in my garage right now, there is a no longer working printer. Like, are we keeping it for spare parts? I'm trying to work this out. Is that what we're doing here? Every family knows that the way you clothe your children is through the use of hand-me-downs. But what happens when the hand-me-downs reach the last child and there's no children left to hand me down to? Well, you just take the garbage bag full of clothes. I go into my garage. There's a garbage bag. on. I think, what is the garbage bag doing here? I open the garbage. There's clothes in there. From They're never going to be worn by another person in the history of life because nobody is going to, they won't even be used for rags. So where should they go? In the garage. Now, I know this, you might be sitting there thinking, what are you on about? Listen, just let me get through my therapy session, all right? One more, just one more. I can't even fathom this. Right now in my garage, I told you the ages of my children. My youngest is 12. Right now in my garage, there is a baby capsule 
You know, like to put your baby as you take them in the car, which is great for Ryan and Chrissy because they're going to need that. But my youngest child is 12 and we haven't used one of those for about 10 years. Now, is someone prophetically declaring the future over my family with a grandparent experience? I say, please, Lord, no, not yet. Another decade at least. But where do these things come from and how do they get there? And, and, and what they, I don't know the answer to that, but this is what I'll tell you. What they create is clutter. They create a space that used to be free into a space that is now entangling. Friends, this morning, we are talking about how we move forward in life in the fullness of freedom that Christ has come to give us. Because I'll tell you this, He didn't come to give you potential freedom or partial freedom. He came to give you the fullness of freedom that His sacrifice reflects. Now, here's the thing. Along the journey of life, just like my garage and the Lifehouse storage area, our souls can accumulate a little bit of clutter. And so what a great thing to do in the time of spring to talk about doing what we do in our physical spaces with our heart, and that is a spring clean of the soul. Friends, this morning, that is what we are talking about, participating today in a spring clean of our soul. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, Since you are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us spring clean our soul by stripping off every weight and piece of clutter and things that are growing in there that shouldn't be, that slow us down, that hinder us, that the sin that so easily trips us up. What's that? Well, it's not named. And the reason why is because what it is for you and what it is for me is going to be different. But the things that trip us up aren't the things that are at our eye height. They're the things that are at our foot height. What is the point of that? It's saying, don't let the clutter grow around the bottom area. Get rid of it before it grows up, whatever it might be. Why? Why though? So that you can run with endurance the race that Christ has set before you. This is a very personal revelation for each of us. You've been given a race to run. And the way that you've been given to run that race is not carrying around a pack of clutter, but in freedom. You're supposed, we are designed to travel light. So a sprinkling of the soul is the removal of things that have taken up residence within us that add no value to us whatsoever. It's all about reclaiming the space. I tell you what, when I walk into my garage with a mission to reclaim the space, I know it's going to be a good day. When we reclaim the space in our soul, we can live in the fullness of freedom that Jesus has come for us. You know, the Word of God today is not just going to show us how to cause our souls to become clutter-free, but it's also going to show us how we can guard that space and not give it up again. I'm turning in the Word of God this morning to the book of Nehemiah. And I know that this uh, is a shared passion of your senior pastor, Daz and I. We absolutely love this book and we're often sharing thoughts about it together. And I'm going to share a revelation out of this that when I saw this, it absolutely, uh, it, it just helped me so much. It helped me see a way forward in this spring clean space. The story is basically that the people of Israel have been exiled from uh, Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem have have been uh, somewhere else in a foreign nation for 70 years, but they've been released to come back. And so they come back to their city, but their city is an absolute mess. Its walls have fallen down and its gates are burnt up. It is clutter everywhere. So God raises up a man named Nehemiah. 
And his leadership inspires the people uh, to re-establish the walls and, uh, sorry, rebuild the walls and re-establish the gates. The gates speak about authorities like, come on, let's get some order. Let's get some, let's get some protection and some order back into this community. Uh, the way I look at it in the context of this meeting is Nehemiah is undertaking the greatest spring clean of all time. He's going to be like, right, we need to get this place going. So we're going to jump in the story at Nehemiah chapter 4 and it says this. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. This is a great result. He's put his mind to it. He's he's got people behind him. And in a very short time, the wall's completed half its height. But I want you to notice what happens after some progress. This is progress. What happens next? But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the walls of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Friends, isn't it interesting that when the walls are torn down and the gates have got no authority in their positioning at all, nobody cares about the state of the city. You don't hear about any opposition at all. It's only when there's progress going forward that there comes opposition. I just want to help you this morning by telling you that when you choose at any time in your life to take steps forward in the race that God has called you to, that's when you can expect, that's when you can predict, I should say, that opposition is going to come against you. Which is why we're we're spring cleaning our soul because metaphorically, we're doing what they did. Metaphorically, we're rebuilding the walls, we're establishing the gates, we're reclaiming the space and we're bringing order. So this helps us understand that, okay, if I do nothing, then yeah, no worries. It'll just be how it lives out. But once I start moving forward in the race God's called for me, I can expect opposition to come. That's what I want to talk about today. What do we do with that? Because this, friends, was the pattern then and it's still the pattern now. What I'm excited to share with you today is that God gives us an authority or a weapon or a way forward that should see us walking out of here with great confidence in our hearts. You know, this passage, it identifies something about the intent of the opposition. And if we miss it, then we we will maybe just throw every hard thing into a spiritual attack. Friend, let me tell you this morning, every hard thing you face is not a spiritual attack. We live in a world that includes hard things. Not every hard thing you face is a spiritual attack. And the, and the Word of God has given us weaponry for facing spiritual attacks. So how do you know if you're facing a spiritual attack or you're just facing a hard thing that you've got to keep going through, right? This is how we understand it. The passage in Nehemiah identifies something about the intent of the opposition. And this is how we know whether it's a spiritual attack or just something challenging. It says this. I'll say it this way. It doesn't say that the enemy wanted to come against us and violently attack us so that we wouldn't be able to continue the work. It doesn't say that. It would make sense if it did. Instead, it says this. Plans were made to fight against Jerusalem so that Nehemiah and all of the people would what? Would be thrown into confusion. Friends, I don't want you to miss this. It might just be one word, but there is deep spiritual significance in this for you and I today. This phrase gives us an insight that if we take it on board, 
This is how we will withstand the enemy's attempt to stop God's work in our life. So can I build a framework for this answer? Friend, here's what you need to know first and foremost. You need to know this. Your enemy, the devil, cannot stop anything that God intends to do in and through your life. First and foremost, you have to know that. There is nothing that he can do whatsoever. He can be, as these people were all those years ago, furious with the advancement of God's kingdom in and through your life, but he has no power to violently oppose or stop the advancement. Isaiah 57 verse 54 verse 17 declares this. This is an Old Testament prophecy of a day that we are living in now. It says, but in that coming day, no, what's the coming day? The coming day is when the Spirit of God is not an external being, but an internal living, not force, but being inside you. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. Friend, we are in the coming day. So what does it say? In that coming day, which is today, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication comes from me. Putting his foot down, he says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now we sung this this morning in the song. We, we, sang, we sung about the power of your name. That's the power of your name. You know, it's so beautiful to sing a song like that with a beautiful tune. In, a, in a, at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. But friend, that's the same declaration that's needed on Tuesday afternoon when things have gone in a direction you didn't want them to go. That's the same declaration. It's the power of your name, the same that rolled the grave. That's the power in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, I learned to say this scripture when I was younger, just to say this simple line, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Why don't you just have a turn with me this morning? Let's say it together. No weapon formed against me, shall prosper. This tells you two things. This thing, this simple line, now weapon formed against me, shall prosper, gives me two understandings. One is that there is a weapon. I don't want to neglect it. The Bible doesn't say to fear the devil. The Bible says to be aware of your schemes. Be aware that there is a weapon. Number two, know this, that weapon, as I've already said, has no power to stop God doing from whatever he intends to do. John 10, Jesus reinforces the Isaiah 54 passage by saying, I give them eternal life. He's talking about you and I, and they shall never perish. Now listen to this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I love this. He reinforces it by talking now. He's saying about my father. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch you. This is Jesus talking to his followers. No one can snatch you out of my father's hand. Friend, where are you located today? You're not located out there in the wilderness some by yourself. You are located in the hand of Christ who is located in the hand of the father. And no one can snatch you out of their hand. There are no power or authority in all of the world that can stop God doing what he wants to do in and through you because because you are in his hand. And that should be a great confidence builder for you this morning. Are you breathing? Every now and again, I can do a whole preach without breathing. It's awesome. Spiritual gift. Now, what I've shared so far is just absolutely the basis and the most important thing. What I'm about to share is equally important. Because this is what you need to know. Not only do you know that the devil can't defeat you by taking you out of God's hand, not only do you know that, but the devil knows that as well. 
Because he knows he can't forcefully stop the advancement of God's kingdom in your life, he changes his attention to tactfully. He tactfully uses one of the only weapons that he has so that you, friend, will willingly take yourself out of God's hand. God says the devil's got no power to take you out of his hand. But friend, we, this is where it gets a little bit challenging because we have been given the authority to take ourselves out of God's hand. How does that happen? Well, it's said in this passage, how by plans were made to come and fight against you and to throw you into a place of confusion. What's confusion? Confusion is to be uncertain or unclear because the devil knows that he can't stop God's plans for you. He's going to give all his energy to you becoming uncertain about who God is and unclear about his word that has been spoken over you. Do you remember when in Acts chapter 20, 24, I know that you're going through this beautiful book of Acts and there's this passage in Acts 20, 24 when Paul is uh, speaking to the church at Ephesus and he's on his way to Rome and they're all like weeping together because they realize, mate, we know, he says this, he says, I know what my future in Rome holds for me. Everywhere I go, I'm told that it is not good. But friends, he, goes, he says this, listen to this, but my life is worth nothing to me Unless I use it for the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of taking the gospel of grace into every place that he sent me to take it. Paraphrased at the end there. What's, what's, what's your point? What's your point that you make? Friends, when God gives you a word and you live in that word with clarity and clearness, 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 clearness and clarity. Wow. When you live in that word with assurity, when uncertainty and unclearness, oh man, I'm killing it this morning, has no place in your life. Guess what? You can hit a really hard place and you say, you know what? I've heard of all these things. All these voices keep telling me that's what I had. But you know what? My life's worth nothing to me unless I keep moving on the path that God's called me to. You want to live in confidence like Paul lived? You get a word from God and you hold on to that with steadfast confidence so that when the voice comes in to bring unclearness and uncertainty, you know what I mean? You do not succumb to it. Friend, listen, what happened all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1? Darkness covered the ocean, the, the, the waters of death. It says that. And then it says what? God said, let there be light and there was light. John 1 verse 5 in the New Testament, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Friends, you need to know the light of God God's Word, when you live in the truth of it, darkness is represented of being uncertain and not clear. Light is living in truth. So hold steadfast in a confidence that God's Word gives you. Now we go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis and we read this devastating passage about Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, there's something that we all know about this story, and that is that the serpent had no power to force feed Adam and Eve the fruit that they were instructed not to eat. We know that he had no power to pin them down. And you know, like when uh, I'm, I've got three younger siblings, I've got, I've got three younger sisters, and, and when they were younger, like you could pin them down and hold a worm over their mouth. Like you could be like, you're going to eat this. Like, okay, I never actually made them eat it, but it's like that. Well, the, the devil can't do that. He, he can't pin you down and say, you're going to eat this forbidden fruit. He can't do it. And so what does he do? He sowed seeds of confusion. 
you read in the passage that the line that the serpent gives to Eve was this, did God really say? The devil can't take you out of God's hands, but he can certainly put some voices in your ear that cause you to question, did God really say? It was this seed of confusion that eventually led Adam and Eve to elevate themselves. Friend, let me just take away from the analogy of the garage because the garage is a static place, but the soul is not a static place. The garage you put in there, what is in there will remain in there, but the soul is more like a garden and what you put in there will grow. Meaning if you allow seeds of confusion to be planted within you, they will produce fruit in your life and that fruit will be shown in the decisions and the path that you choose to take. Hebrews chapter 12 goes on to say in verse 15, Beware that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up within you, causing you trouble. Isn't it incredible? It's not, it's not causing anyone else trouble. What I let grow in me is going to have the greatest impact on me. So Adam and Eve find themselves in a position where instead of obeying God's word with great confidence because of who he is, they elevate themselves above God's word. They take the fruit and the consequences roll on. All these years later, it's the same devil and he has the same plan and that is to distort the plans and the purpose that God has through us through sowing seeds of confusion so that we would elevate ourselves above God's word and make our own decisions instead of confidently following his word. So what do we do with this knowledge? Well, Nehemiah, thankfully, gives us the answer. Who's thankful that we get an answer today? Oh, come on, get me out of that space. That was entangling. All right, well, this is what verse 9 says. This is what we do. This is how we respond to the confusion. We prayed to our God and guarded the city night and day, day and night, to protect ourselves. Friends, in this, we're given two things to do. I'm going to spend a minute or two on the first one, and then we're going to just have a little bit of a deep dive into the second. First and foremost, we prayed. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but there is a revelation here we need to get. And that's this. When you read the account in Genesis of Adam and Eve in the garden, when you read those first three chapters, let me tell you, the main character of the story is God. He is at the centerpiece of everything. He's the hero of the story. Then we get to the next part. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, God is not present in the story. It's Adam and Eve and the serpent. Here's the takeaway revelation for us. Don't let God walk out of your story. When God walks out of your story, there will be plenty of others who walk in. Let me say a word to the young people in this room this morning. There are more voices looking to have an influence in your life than has ever been in history before. The way you walk in truth is by keeping God close. And that's why it says that we pray. Because prayer isn't just about communicating with God. It's about proximity with God. You can't pray from a distance. When you pray, you keep God close. You said, I thought God was always close. He is. He's close to you. Prayer is about us drawing close to Him. Keep God in your story through prayer. Number one, prayer is about proximity. Prayer keeps us close. We avoid confusion by staying close. Number two, second thought. It says this, we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Friends, imagine if it was that easy where we had a physical city to guard. We just, you know, I've actually thought about this. I thought, you know what? I could build a, I could build a wall in my garage. No one could get in there. 
We're not talking about garages this morning. We're talking about gardens. We're talking about our souls. And we don't have a, we don't have a city to protect, but this passage in Proverbs 4.23 illuminates for us what we have been called to guard. And it says this, guard your heart above all else. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for out of it or for it determines the course of your life. Incredible. How do we resist the confusion that the devil would like us to succumb to? How do we protect the space in our soul? Friends, we guard it. We guard it day and night. Let me give you a quick understanding of what your heart is or what your soul is. What's your soul? It is a very simple way of describing it. Your soul is who you would still be if your physical body was taken away from you and you were given a brand new one. If you were given a brand new physical body, you would sound different, you would look different, but you would be the exact same person. The fruit you produce of your life would be exactly the same. That is our soul. And that is what we are told to protect because that's where the enemy wants to seed his doubt of confusion within us. He wants you to live cluttered. He wants you to live with space that is carrying things that aren't supposed to be there. So what do we do with that? Well, just like we look at the state of our own garage, we look at the state of our hearts and we identify anything that we've allowed to grow in there and we determine whether or not it's allowed to stay in there. Friend, you might be carrying something, you might be growing something in your heart like unforgiveness. You might be growing something in your heart like resentment. Maybe there's some pride growing in there, comparison, guilt. Maybe there's some shame growing in your heart, some anger, some offence, some greed, some selfishness. All the things that you were really hoping to come and hear about at church this morning. God bless you. You know, if you're carrying any of these things, I can tell you, you are not living in the fullness of freedom. And here's the thing, here's the thing. We are all got things that the Holy Spirit will choose to illuminate in His time so that we can remove out. Psalm 139, it's how we approach it. So David comes to God with humbleness and he says, would you search me, O Lord? You know, the number one thing that we do when we're cleaning out the storage area in the, uh, in, the, in the life house storage area is we nominate someone who hasn't got one single bit of nostalgic sensitivity in them at all. No space for it. When it comes to identifying the person for this task, we are looking for a cold-hearted soul. Mm-hmm. I don't want someone who has nostalgic memories about the Christmas pageant that took place. I love that word, pageant that took place five years ago. I don't want that person because that person's like, oh, do you remember that's when little was so-and-so was so little and now they're older and old. We need to keep it. Somebody who's cold out just goes, not helping us go forward in the mission that God's called us to. Perfect. And that's the framework. If it's not helping you move forward in the purpose and the mission and the race that God's given you, get rid of it. It has got no value whatsoever, no matter how long it's been there or how someone else said, oh, it's really important that it stays. No, friend. So David says this, search me, O God. Come on. I'm inviting in. You know what? I, we, we've named this person in Lifehouse, the person, that, the cold-hearted person that goes in. We've named them the clutter destructor. When you're a father, you have to make up these goofy names, right? You have to do that. It helps your kids be annoyed with you. It's so good. So so I want to say to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate clutter destructor. 
but he doesn't come into a space where he's not invited. So David says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life or lead me along the path of freedom and of purpose and of destiny. Friends, we're gonna take a moment this morning and we're gonna do this together. We're gonna, in our last couple of minutes together, the band's gonna come, I suppose, in a moment or whatever is the next part of the service. But just for this moment together, I'm gonna gonna ask you to just sit where you are And if you're able to, you don't have other distractions around you, maybe you can close your eyes. Now I'm going to invite you this morning to engage with God this way. To just invite Him in. Because if there are things in your soul that you've walked in here this morning, well then there's no, no reason for you to walk out with those same things. Things that shouldn't be there. So I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. The guy's going to leave it on the screen. So you might have to open your eyes if you want to re-engage with that scripture. But it says, Lord, would you search me? I'm inviting you in. Would you search me, O Lord? Would you know my heart? Know my anxious thoughts? Know my mind? Know, know the things that are consuming me? And Lord, if there's things growing in the garden of my soul that shouldn't be there, Lord, would you bring identification to that today? Because I don't want to walk out of here carrying something that's cluttering my life and entangling my race. I want to walk out of here with the freedom that you've come to give me. Hey, friends, why don't we just do this? Let's take 90 seconds. Be silent across this room. And why don't you engage with the Holy Spirit personally today and allow Him to do some work. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.